Good evening, everyone. This is Coach Matt, and you are listening to Better Health and Body Radio, your source for the latest and greatest information and understanding in the world of health, nutrition, and performance, where we give you a seat at the table next to the best and the brightest minds to arm you with the information you need to optimize yourself. Join us for another exciting, thought-provoking episode of BHB Radio, starting now. What's up, everybody? This is Coach Matt here with another episode of BHB Radio. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Mary Newport. Uh, Dr. Mary is a a really sweet, warm, kind person. I love seeing that people like that are involved in health and medicine. Uh, Dr. Mary is also just a fountain of knowledge. She is coming here today to give us um, a bit of an insight into her own story of how her husband uh, contracted Alzheimer's and how that journey led them to find how health and nutrition can actually be an intervention to not only build resilience against uh, dis-ease states, uh, but also how to help recover from potential states of dis-ease. Uh, In addition to that, she is going to give some practical takeaways on how certain switches, changes, uh, and interventions in your diet that are pretty simple uh, can actually have a big impact on your health. So again, I'm super excited to have her today. Uh, We're very lucky to have her on the show, uh, and I'm excited to introduce you guys to her. Hey, Dr. Mary, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, hey, Matt. Thank you for inviting me to come on. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No problem. You know, I'm sure you're busy. So uh, you coming on here to, you know, grace all of us with your knowledge is just, you know, a great opportunity for me and for everyone at home, too. I'm looking forward to to the show today. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Uh, So for for people who might not know uh, as much about your work, might not be familiar with it, do you mind kind of introducing yourself to everyone? Okay. So I am a physician, I'm an MD, and um, grew up in Cincinnati, went to school there, Um, and I, my background is pediatrics, um, and I specialized in neonatology, the care of sick and premature newborns, so I worked in newborn intensive care units for 30 years in Florida, and um, more recently, um, I was doing, (laughs) the pandemic kind of waylaid this, but um, doing home visits with people who are elderly with chronic uh, conditions, a lot of people on Medicare, Medicaid, that kind of thing. So um, I've kind of seen both ends of the spectrum. And um, my whole <laughs> reason for being here on this podcast has to do with ketones as an alternative fuel for the brain and how they helped you know, originally my husband and now so many other people, um, you know, trying this ketogenic route you know, to uh, improving, getting better. Um, so um, we can talk about my husband, if you like, a little, his background, what happened with that. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear that because, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that kind of how you got into helping others um, with, with more of the, the ketogenic diet and ketones as, a, as, as an area of emphasis? Yep, yep, absolutely. That's, um, that's what happened. And um, so really up till about 2008, Um, ketones weren't on my radar at all. And um, my husband, Steve, when he, he was um, basically, he was an accountant and he, uh, when we, it was time for us to have children, he volunteered to stay home and work from home, which was perfect for our practice. He could do accounting from home, be the manager for my business. And I worked in the hospital, so um, he could be there with our kids. But then when he was only 51, he started having memory problems, um, pretty serious memory problems, um, making big payroll mistakes. And then he started forgetting if he'd been to the bank and the post office, which is really unusual for somebody who's 51. And, you know, I'm just two years uh, younger than he was. And so um, uh, one, as the first neuropsychiatrist we went to thought, that it was related to depression. Well, the depression was most likely related to Alzheimer's because he continued to get worse. And in 2004, when he was 54, he was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. So he um, continued to get worse. I was always looking for clinical trials and anything that might help him. Around 2006, I came across information that 
that nutrition could have something to do with Alzheimer's. Um, they reported that a Mediterranean diet, uh, people who had the most Mediterranean-like diet with Alzheimer's lived on average four years longer than the people with the least Mediterranean-like diet. And I thought, huh, nutrition could have something. You know, I was really kind of shocked, but I started investigating it more. And, and we actually switched over to a Mediterranean diet from a, I would call it a convenience food, fast food diet, high carb <laughs> you know, low fat, because we've been taught for decades to eat low fat. Right. And we really, you know, switched over much less carb. We were having more olive oil and that kind of thing in our diet, added fish oil, because that seemed like a good idea. Um, but he still kept getting worse. <laughs> no idea if it slowed it down. But then in 2008, he, there were two clinical trials that became available. And um, I was able to schedule him for two different days, two different locations, um, and I got on the internet the night before and I was looking for the risks and benefits of the two drugs. Um, and I happened upon a press release for a medical food that was going to be available in about a year, but they had reported two studies, a small pilot study, and then a larger study in which they showed that nearly half of the people who took this one dose a day had improvement in their memory and cognition. And you never hear this about any Alzheimer's drug. They never, you know, um, say that it improves cognition or memory. They say it may slow the disease for six months. And there have been no new Alzheimer's drugs now for about 15 years at this point. Um, so anyway, um, I got on the um, internet and I found their patent application and what I learned was that this medical food was MCT oil, medium chain triglyceride oil. And I knew what that was because I'm a newborn specialist. And back in the late 70s and 80s, we used to add MCT oil a little bit to each of the feedings of our tiniest preemies. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Yeah. And they That's would gain wild. weight. Yes. They would gain weight. They'd get home faster. Um, and then the formula ma manufacturers started creating these premature formulas that had more calories, but they were adding MCT oil was one of the main things they were doing. And then, then I learned from the patent application that MCT oil is extracted usually from coconut oil and sometimes palm kernel oil. Um, and infant formulas have, um, to this day now, since about the mid 80s, they have coconut oil. And many of them also have MCT oil because they're trying to mimic the fats that are in human breast milk. And mm. there are MCTs in human breast milk. Mm. Yeah. So um, that was new information for me, even though I was a newborn specialist. But um, the idea was um, in Alzheimer's, you know, people with Alzheimer's, they have a problem with getting glucose into the brain and into cells, brain cells in specific parts of the brain. It's insulin resistance, insulin deficiency. There's some enzyme deficiencies. Um, it's like there's a conspiracy of getting glucose into the brain and all of your cells need fuel to operate, you know, virtually all. And um, brain cells um, need a huge amount of energy. You know, uh, the brain is two or 3% of our body weight, but uses 20 to 25% of the calories we consume. It's very energy needy. And um, so if you start depriving the brain of fuel as glucose, then, you know, um, and this starts to happen 10 or 20 years before people develop symptoms of Alzheimer's, you know, then you have a big problem. And, you know, with the kind of diet that we eat these days, most people eat a higher carb, lower fat diet. That's what we've been taught, you know, for decades. Um, a lot of people are into junk food, uh, fast food. So there's a lot of sugar in the diet, a lot of really unhealthy fats, um, that kind of thing. Trans fats were, we were real heavy on trans fats for a long time until they were banned recently in our diet. Um, but, um, you know, basically, um, people are not in ketosis normally, you know, with the, the standard American diet, the sad diet, <laughs> Um, if you fast overnight, you know, 10, 12 hours, at least you may be in a little bit of ketosis in the morning, but people tend to eat high carb breakfast and then it's gone, you know? So most people are not in ketosis very much on that type of diet. And so, um, the cool idea with the MCT oil was when you consume it, part of it is converted to ketones. 
And uh, ketones are very tiny molecules. They enter the same chemical pathway as glucose to make energy, to make ATP. And it's, it was really a, a really cool, brilliant idea, you know, that possibly eating MCT oil could provide fuel to the brain. And they found in their studies that almost half of the people that took just even a single dose, it was 20 grams, it was four level teaspoons of MCT oil, that they had an improvement um, in their memory and cognition. And, and then the longer study too, it was almost half of the people, um, this was true. And um, when they took 20 grams a day, just one dose a day. So I'm reading this and um, it was the night before he was supposed to try out for a clinical trial the first one, and I didn't have time to do anything about it. So we went and he did very poorly. Um, there's a memory test called the mini mental status exam. Um, and it's a 30 point test. And he had to get at least 16 points to qualify. And he only got 14 points. And we were devastated because we'd been waiting for years for a clinical trial to come along. And this was your great hope, you know, that you might be one of the first patients as an Alzheimer patient to get this drug that might, you know, be the cure. And um, so on the way home, I thought we're going to go pick up some coconut oil because I did not know you could get MCT oil over the counter. I knew hospitals had it, but I didn't know that we could get it. So we stopped and got some coconut oil. And then when we got home, I figured out the, um, I was able to find a fatty acid composition on a government website, USDA website, and figured out how much MCTs were in it and how much I should give him to equal the medical dose <laughs> of the MCT oil. And so um, the next day I gave him, it turned out to be a little over two tablespoons of coconut oil. And we went for the second um, uh, clinical, the screening for the clinical trial. And um, it was about three hours after he had coconut oil, you know, with a little bit of oatmeal um, and um, he gained four points. He gained four whole points, um, including we were in a different city, different facility, and he knew what city we were in this time, what floor we were on, the season, the day of the week, which he couldn't remember the day before. It was a different day. <laughs> so he gained four points and he qualified for the study. Oh, wow. And yeah, it was pretty exciting. And so that was just the beginning. And um, but I thought, well, you know, is this just good luck? You know, I didn't really know. So I thought, but we're going to keep it going and I'm going to learn as much as I can. And so um, the next day I, I thought, you know, one dose a day, you know, when I could tell from the patent application that the ketone levels peaked at around 90 minutes for most people. And then they were pretty much gone by about three hours. And I thought, well, what does your brain do the other 21 hours of the day? So um, we just started cooking with coconut oil. I would make sure he got at least two tablespoons for breakfast and then added, you know, measured doses at dinner and then lunch. And then eventually before bedtime over a number of months, we gradually increased this. But I also then found out that we could get MCT oil. Mm. Um, yeah, it was online. Uh, I, I mean, I started calling companies, you know, that, that mass produce it. And they're like, you have to buy 16 barrels of it. And I'm like, Oh my God. And then I found out I could get it on Amazon. So, um, <laughs> so we, I started mixing it, you know, the coconut and MCT oil, um, um, the ketone levels were higher from MCT than coconut oil, but the duration was longer with coconut oil. And I thought if you mix the two together, you should be able to get a pretty steady stream. If you take it several times a day, you get a pretty steady stream of ketones and, mm -hmm. So that's what we did, you know, and um, he, he, like, the first day he had that improvement in the score, and he told me many times, it was like the light bulb came on in his brain, the light switch, the day he started the coconut oil, and yeah, yeah and the next day, he was already walking better, he had had tremors that, um, when he was eating, when he would try to talk, his jaw would start to tremor. Those went away almost right away. Um, he just was more animated, more talkative, uh, telling jokes again, started whistling again. He had these great medleys, great whistler. <laughs> he started doing that. And um, just very, you know, by the fourth or fifth day, we were like, oh my God, you know, something is really happening here. And um, 
you know, I actually called Dr. Veach at that point. I learned he was a world expert on ketones and he answered the phone. I called, he answers the phone himself. <laughs> I'll never forget his voice, you know, because I wow. ended up hearing it many times. We communicated and you know, talked on the phone and I got to visit him. Steve and I visited him up there and, and um, he was at, in Bethesda, Maryland at the NIH. And um, so, you know, I, the first time I asked him, theoretically, do you think uh, coconut oil, because it has MCTs, could help somebody with Alzheimer's? And he goes, no, 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 no. That's, he said, no, the levels would never be high enough. And he told me about the people that had called him about MCT oil a few years earlier. And he told them the same thing. The levels would never be high enough of ketones to help somebody with Alzheimer's. But I already knew <laughs> something was happening, you know, and I didn't argue with him. But um, about two weeks uh, after Steve started the coconut oil, I mean, he was still, you know, just uh, improving every day. You know, we were seeing some something new and different that he was able to do again. And um, so um, he drew another clock um, and he drew, well, I didn't tell you about the clock test. Okay. So the day that he did not pass the clinical trial, he didn't get in, the doctor had him draw a clock and this was the day before coconut oil and he drew not a big circle. He drew a few little random circles and a few numbers. I think it was nine, 10, 11, 12. That was it kind of scattered. And she said, this is very disorganized. And she told me he was on the verge of severe Alzheimer's. I mean, that's wow. really what scared me more than anything. And, you know, compelled me to, we've got to get, to, we've got to at least try this MCT oil thing, you know, MCT thing. Um, so two weeks after that, he drew a clock and this time it was a full circle. All the numbers were there and there were like dozens of, of spokes, like, mm. like hands of the clock. It was really interesting, but it was so much more organized and looked more like a clock. And, um, and then um, a little over a month later, you know, after the, the, he started it, it was, it was neater, it was tidier, not quite so many hands of the clock. And, you know, he just kind of progressed from there and it, it correlated with what we were seeing. And then he tried out again um, for the original clinical trial and his mini metal status score at that point had was 14 from that first attempt to 20. It was up to 20, which is out of a 30 point test. That's very significant for somebody mm -hmm. with Alzheimer's. So anyway, um, that's uh, kind of, that's what happened. And, you know, he continued to get better. He had had like a stiff kind of shuffling gait. He couldn't pick up his feet and run in around two months. He was walking completely normally and he could run again. He was able to tie his shoes again. I mean, that's how oh, wow. advanced he was. He couldn't tie his shoes. Um, and he talking much, much better. And um, around three to four months, he was able to read again. And he explained to me he couldn't read because the words had been shaking on the page. And that stopped. Mm -hmm. It just stopped rather suddenly and uh, never came back. Uh, so, you know, and then his reading comprehension and, and recall, like several hours later of what he had read um, around nine or 10 months, you know, we saw that much improved. Uh, so, you know, it was just kind of a steady improvement that first year. And then, um, then he kind of leveled off. And um, Dr. Beach, about two years into the coconut oil and MCT oil, um, he was ready to test his um, ketone ester that he'd been developing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the levels were just so much higher that you can get with a ketone ester um, and ketone salts too, you know, but um, the ketone ester, you really can give almost any dose to get what, what level you want. And um, so he suggested that Steve become a um, pilot study of one person, you know, with mm -hmm. a ketone ester and, by then I had already, uh, was already writing a book, <laughs> this kind of thing to try to increase awareness. Sure. Whole idea, try to get funding for him and clinical trials for Alzheimer's. Um, so Steve, um, at that point in time, uh, was experiencing a setback of sorts. He was starting to have some new symptoms of Alzheimer's and, um, he actually did uh, get into the clinical trial. He was, we got to choose because he qualified them for both of the studies. And um, unfortunately, it was a very bad drug. <laughs> um, he was on the placebo the first year, 12 to 14 months, we found out later. And then he crossed over to the drug and he was probably on it for about five to seven months. 
and he um, started having some weird um, side effects. He had wounds mm. that would heal, like a scrape the shin, it wouldn't heal for a month, you know. He right. fainted at some other strange things, and we ended up taking him out of the study. Oh, wow. And then, uh, yeah, and then they reported to us that the drug caused accelerated worsening of Alzheimer's. Oh, geez. Yeah. So the exact opposite. So the irony was coconut oil helped him get into the study. And then right. eventually he, he's on the drug, which probably made him worse. That, that's, you know, our best guess as to what happened at that point. But the mm-hmm. ketone ester then, Dr. Veach, you know, became very concerned. They had finished toxicity studies and um, he sent it to us and it turned Steve around quite dramatically. Um, mm-hmm. It was, you know, one the day he took it, I would have to talk him through taking a shower. This mm-hmm. is common people with Alzheimer's. You have to tell them what to do step by step, you know, at some mm-hmm. point, you know, it's, it's so bizarre, you know, put, you know, wet your hair. Okay. Put some shampoo in your hand. Okay. Now put it in your hair. Okay. Now rub it in. Now rinse it off. You know, you talk step by step. He could, sure. he went from that the next day, just, he could just automatically take a shower. Oh, wow. And it automatically shave. You know? <laughs> and then the, the problems that we were seeing over about six weeks uh, reversed. So then he got back and he was very stable for about 20 months after that. Wow. Anyway, so that's, um, it's a long version of our story. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, but that's how I got interested in ketones and then, um, you know, had to tell the world about it. So um, first I wrote an article that got out on the internet. It was like a little case study about it. Sure. Um, I still get calls. I had a lady call just the other day and she said, I just read your article from 2008. And wow. I want to know if there's anything new since then. <laughs> I'm like, like a couple things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a few, quite a few things. And, um, you know, and then I've written um, books about it too, you know, basically trying to get the message out and, um, and to try to encourage funding at, for clinical trials and mass production of, you know, his, the ketone ester was what I was really going for. But in the meantime, you know, people could use coconut oil, MCT oil, and then, you know, looking more and more at diet, I was looking at ketogenic diet, you know, and the value of that. And so, um, you know, I started researching that more and more reading about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, um, well, my first book was published in 2011, and it was called Alzheimer's Disease, What If There Was a Cure? The Story of Ketones. Mm. So um, it had Steve's story. It had um, the research, Dr. Beach, other, the other researchers that were doing studies at that point. Yep. Um, and, um, and then a lot of practical information about using coconut and MCT oil. And then, you know, my second book, I... Uh, it's called the coconut oil and low carb solution for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's and other diseases. And, and it was, um, you know, basically a reasonable uh, diet that you could expect an elderly person, you know, to be able to adhere for the long haul, you know, basically trying to get as much added sugar, sugary drinks, you know, um, uh, bad stuff out of the diet, um, limit portions of whole grains, try to get a more Mediterranean type diet, cleaner diet. And at that point still, you know, ketone salts and ketone esters had not come along. They weren't available yet. So basically trying to help people with a better diet and um, adding coconut and MCT oil. And then, um, but then uh, I'm sure as the audience knows uh, in 2016, things changed. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, so, so speaking of that too, um, is your, how's your husband doing these days? Is he still solid? Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, um, he did well. Like with, when we started the ketone ester, he was very stable for about 20 months. And then, um, he started having some problems again. The first time it was related to a medication um, that he had a very bizarre reaction to. Um, it landed him in the hospital, which is a really bad thing if you have Alzheimer's because they start giving you all kinds of drugs, you know, for oh, got it. and this and that. I mean, it was just a horrible experience. I'm um, sorry. Yeah, and he came home from that and uh, 
he improved a lot. And at that point, you know, I started bringing caregivers into our house to help take care of him because I was still working. I'm still working in the newborn ICU at that point. And um, I couldn't just leave him any time in the day or night, you know. Um, so I had people in my home to help. And then um, in 2013, he he was seemed fine. He told me he loved me when I was going off to work, gave me a big hug. And the lady that was taking care of him called me five minutes later and she said, he's having a seizure. <laughs> he had fallen straight back and hit his head and he had a 20 minute seizure, stopped breathing, turned blue. It was very bad. And, um, and unfortunately he became, he went in the hospital for a few days, but, um, he became completely dependent after that. <laughs> so we actually lost him. He, um, he ended up dying in early 2016. He passed away. Uh, it turned out to be Alzheimer's disease and another type of dementia called Lewy body dementia, mm. which is the second most common, but most people have never heard of it. <laughs> Got it. Um, yeah. Okay. So well, unfortunately, I'm, I'm we did lose Steve. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm real sorry to hear that. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry for, you know, any, any sort of pain that that brings up to by my asking? Yeah, no, that's, um, I've adjusted well to it. I've talked a lot about this, you know, since then. So, but I, I do think it's important for people to know, you know, and, um, you know, the way I think about it, you know, Steve was, there's seven stages of Alzheimer's and he was kind of between stage five and six out of seven. He was quite progressed into the disease and he still had this really dramatic response that, that helped him improve his quality of life for about at least three and a half years, four years, you know, that we got, our family got with him and he got, you know, um, that I'm quite sure would not have happened, you know, if um, this hadn't come along. And, you know, I can only imagine if we knew about this four years earlier when he was first diagnosed, yeah. you know, that we might still have him, you know, when he was in the, those earliest stages and, you know, so, you know, I just feel it's important for me to, it's his legacy really, you know, to yeah there and tell as many people as possible about this so that they can do it when, when they're um, early in the disease right. going before, before, you know, I think, you know, people really of all ages need to know this problem with glucose uptake in the brain starts at least 10 or 20 years before you have symptoms of Alzheimer's. So most people have no awareness that they're having a problem mm. they've even yeah <laughs> and they've even shown on pet scans people in their 20s that have a family history of it mm. already decreased glucose uptake in their 20s mm. that's interesting yeah. I mean, it is it i i do really appreciate how you know in you now in your work and and the messages that you're getting out there to the masses you're able to um help so many people, right? So that, you know, so many families hopefully don't have to go through the same thing that you guys went through. And, and you know, I can't think of a better way to honor his legacy, to be honest with you. So yeah, um, yeah. That's, I appreciate you sharing that story. Yeah, and, you're welcome. And, um, you know, I've just been very excited to see, you know, uh, first the ketone salts came along in 2016, you know, is when they first became available. Um, and then um, the ketone ester um, became available in 2018, beginning of 2018, you know, to see these things finally happen, you know, happening and um, getting out there, you know, um, the awareness has just grown tremendously. And then at the same time, there's an explosion of interest in the ketogenic diet, the keto diet. Um, so, you know, I look back to you know 2008 and I felt like a really lonely messenger about this. And yeah. um, um, my sister and her husband, um, I mean, my family, you know, they, and his family, they recognize the huge difference that happened fairly suddenly, you know, with just introducing this. And so, you know, they helped a lot, you know, we were, it was a grassroots effort distributing this little article that I wrote on the internet and to people and health food store, you know, this kind of thing. And then, but now, you know, here we are 12 years later and awareness has greatly increased. There's interest in this all over the world um, at this point. Um, oh, yeah. and, and the keto diet and people realizing, you know, how important diet is, you know, it, that it, it does affect our health and our brain, our aging, aging of our brain, this kind of thing. 
And um, the sooner you do it, the, the better off you'll be, the more likely you are to be able to avoid developing a problem like Alzheimer's. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so speaking of that too, uh, your work these days, right? Like what, what are, what are some of the messages that you've been getting out there mm-hmm. uh, to folks like, you know, practical things that they can, they can start either looking out for mm-hmm. uh, and start implementing into their own regimen that can really help optimize their own health um, in a preventative capacity and or, you know, restorative capacity if they're already dealing with things like this? Yeah. Um, Well, to help get the message out, um, I wrote a third book. It's called The um, Complete Book of Ketones, a practical guide for ketogenic diets and ketone supplements. Um, But, you know, one of my big things I've been harping on is um, (laughs) this problem with Alzheimer's and with other types of dementia, Parkinson's, ALS. I mean, a lot of diseases, um, there's a problem of insulin resistance and very true diabetics and the complications that, that di- diabetics develop. It has to do with insulin resistance. And, you know, we still don't know exactly what causes it, but it's very clear. There have been some really good studies that if you lower the carbohydrates, increase the healthy fats in the diet, get into a, a more ketogenic type of diet um, by doing that, that you can reverse the uh, biomarkers of insulin resistance. If you have a high hemoglobin A1C, that's a test that's done for diabetes, you can get it back in the normal range in something like eight or 10 weeks of um, completely changing up your diet. So, you know, it, it kind of then stands to reason that eating too much sugar and not eating enough healthy fat does the opposite, you know? But, um, it is, you're, And it's been shown really in populations that the greater the sugar consumption, the greater the rates of um, diabetes. And um, uh, diabetes has a 30% risk of dementia if you have diabetes. 30%, that's massive. And That's huge. um, Yeah, the average population, it's about 5%. Um, So, you know, doing everything you can in your power not to get diabetes, or if you have it, to try to reverse it, get it under control get it into remission, you know, uh, could really go a long way as a lifestyle factor, you know, changing that, you know, to avoid developing a problem like Alzheimer's and or other type of dementia. So, you know, I, I talk a lot, um, you know, um, at various conferences, things, you know, I do, you know, as I give talks, I'm talking more and more about diabetes and trying to eliminate um, sugary drinks, added sugar, from the diet, um, using um, eating whole foods, eating more whole foods, um, rather than all these packaged processed foods that have all kinds of chemicals, preservatives, things that our body wasn't um, doesn't recognize <laughs> by way of evolution. You know, there are a sure. lot of things. Even the vitamins. You know, we get, you know, in uh, like like white flour, white rice. Um, they're refined, they've had vitamins stripped from them, and they actually have to add a couple of vitamins so that we don't get deficiencies, like thiamine deficiency, which can be very severe. Oh yeah. But the vitamins that they add are synthetic vitamins. They're not the naturally occurring forms that you would get from food. And, you know, so if you do eat a whole food diet and you eat like a variety of colors of vegetables, you know, for example, that can go a long way towards getting you the the naturally occurring forms of vitamins um, and, you know, that type of thing. Um, And so, you know, I stress eating a whole food diet, you know, getting adequate protein, eating more healthy fats, olive oil being one, coconut oil, you know, there's this huge misconception that coconut oil is bad for you, it clogs your arteries, but um, those are based on studies of animal saturated fat and coconut oil is a completely different chemical composition than um, animal saturated fat. Most of the saturated fats in coconut oil are are medium chain triglycerides. And these MCTs are not found in animal fat, you know? Um, So there's a, there's very little overlap. And, um, but you know, they have, it's never been studied. Coconut oil has never actually been studied to look at its direct effect on cardiovascular health. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. 
And some of the early studies um, where they, you know, started saying it's an artery clogging fat. Um, when they did study coconut oil, it was hydrogenated coconut oil that contained yeah. trans fats. And it, it seemed, a, I remember when that, those articles like kind of started circulating in mass a few years ago or so, mm -hmm. it, it seemed a little bit kind of like myopic thinking, um, you know, mm -hmm. the way that they were kind of going about trying to demonize it, you know, it, it, it seemed yeah. a little yeah. off to me. Yeah, yeah, the American Heart Association has been demonizing it for about 60 years. And, um, but they're still, I mean, their latest advisory on it, which was in 2017, their, their core studies were studies from the 1950s and 60s. And they were in populations that were, I believe, in the USA and um, Finland, um, who would not have been eating coconut oil. They clearly were not eating coconut oil. And um, they might have been eating some, at that point in the 50s and 60s, they were more likely eating Crisco and margarine, <laughs> you know, because people were told not to eat butter, you know, and Crisco and margarine are loaded with trans fats. They were loaded with oh, yeah. trans fats. And so that the populations that they were studying, um, that then now they still use those as their core studies to try to say um, that people should stay away from saturated fat. Oh, geez. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> and uh, the trans fats are probably the ultimate poor fat, you know. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, even it's, it's surprising to see so many of these outlets kind of come out you know, in, you know, even like the who recently, and, and they were propping up uh, some industrial seed oils, right? And meanwhile, kind of still demonizing saturated fat. It's like, really, in 2020, that's what we're doing? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just incredible. Yeah, I just did a webinar um, with a, um, a couple of others last, well, it's about a week and a half ago for the American Oil Chemist Society. And, um, and we talked about this, and um, it turns out animal saturated fat um, well, animal fat is not even half saturated fat. <laughs> it's it's about half saturated fat. It, well, about 40-something percent saturated fat, 40-something percent monounsaturated fat, which is what's the main thing in olive oil. And um, and then the, the rest is polyunsaturated fat. You know, so even they, they call animal fat saturated fat, but it's not even half saturated fat, which is interesting. <clears throat> But then, like I said, coconut oil, the fats, the saturated fats that are in animal fat are very little of the fats that are in coconut oil. It's a completely different set of fatty acids. Right. <laughs> and would someone like yourself advocate for a balance between the two? You know, getting in just, you know, enough of it, all, all of these things, obviously sans the trans fats. Um, yeah, minus the trans fats. Um, I don't really think there's that much problem with um, <clears throat> animal uh, fat, except we have to think of how they're raised. And, you know, um, if they're not like pasture raised, grass fed, that kind of thing, they, there can be hormones, antibiotics, pesticides, things like that. Sure. that get stored in the fat. So that's probably the biggest problem with animal fat. Yeah. Not what its composition is, but what could be in it when we eat it. Yeah. That, that's interesting. You say that I'm, that's sort of what I try to tell a lot of people is, you know, you are what you eat has eaten, um, you know, or how it was raised as you put, cause it's just like the constituents of that are going to ultimately determine whether or not these things are healthy. And, and I think that's kind of, that's one way in which you could agree with a lot of what some of that vegan research would say. However, when you, when you separate for that massively important critical variable there, you start mm -hmm. to see that, the consumption of meat is good. It's just that if you're consuming meat, that's going to have some of these, uh, just for a blanket term, we can use, we can use toxins when the fat that the animal has contains a lot of that in there and the tissue contains a lot of those issues, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're not going to have a, the same response as you would if that was an organic grass fed wild caught animal. Right. Right. Exactly. Let alone, and, you're not going to have the same nutrient profile as well. Right. Micronutrients. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it is going to be a different, you know, because they're fed grains, you know, uh, a lot of these animals that are not pasture, they're fed grains, which isn't really what 
they would be eating if they were in the wild. Um, and that does affect, you know, the composition of their own body and their own fat, you know, as well. Um, so, you know, I just, I think moving as much as possible to a more whole food kind of a diet, you know, um, increasing vegetables. You know, I used to think I hated vegetables. <laughs> and when I started doing the, the research on the Mediterranean diet in 2006, you know, I was really just starting, you know, I started cooking with fresh vegetables and I grew up with these mushy vegetables that were in cans, you know, <laughs> and I didn't like them. I didn't think I liked fresh vegetables. And, you know, and now I'm a huge fan of vegetables and, <clears throat> you know, eat a lot of, you know, every day and, um, you know, um, avocados, olives, um, their eggs, you know, eggs are, they were demonized for a long time and, and they actually raise HDL cholesterol, you know, um, it turns out and um, they were demonized and um, now, you know, they're saying, oh, be careful, eat only one or two a day. I don't believe that at all. The egg is probably one of the most perfect foods we can eat. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> we, you know, um, I don't know, we, we have to think about organizations and what they've been saying for a long time. And, who is saying this, you know, are there yeah. possibly industry involvement in this, you know, having input into what they're saying and, you know, those kind of things. Um, but, um, and I think in some cases too, to add to that, I think it's also like, is there some level of like majoring in the minors going on? And by that, I mean, if something maybe ever so slightly tilts your, your chance of getting cancer by a hair, while also giving you all these other benefits, it's fair to ask, all right, well, you know, is there some other confounding variable in this research that's going on? And, you know, if, if every, everything at some level is an opportunity cost, I, I forgot who said it, but it was sort of like, well, what's that quote? It's like, everything is either a, a remedy or a poison. It's sort of the dose that determines it. So, um, yeah. And speaking of eggs and meat specifically, um, if raised right, that can actually provide a lot of serious like energy and hormonal benefits, correct? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it sure can. Um, and I mean, and cholesterol too. Cholesterol is so important and it's been so demonized that people think the word cholesterol, that, that cholesterol is something bad, you know, and, yeah. and it, it's in every single cell membrane. It supports our, the structure of our cells. You know, every cell can make it, <laughs> uh, almost every cell. There's a couple exceptions. Um, it, in the brain, it's a, a huge part of the support structure of the brain, uh, that, you know, lipid that holds everything together, keeps it in place. A lot of that's cholesterol. Every synapse where, where um, one nerve transmits to another nerve requires cholesterol to actually transmit, you know, signals from one nerve to the next, you know, it's, and it's a precursor for, you know, um, hormones, for um uh, steroid hormones in our body and sex hormones in our body, you know, cholesterol is. So, you know, it's been just totally demonized that this is some evil substance that, you know, we should get as rid of as much as possible, but it's, um, it's vital, you know, we can't live without it. And, um, you know, there are people that have a genetic tendency to have extremely high cholesterol levels and that is abnormal. That's abnormal, but, um, most people with a little bit higher cholesterol level are not, you know, those people. Um, and, you know, the pharmaceutical companies have been pushing statins more and more. They've been lowering the, what they consider the normal cholesterol level. It used to be around 350, you know, that you would get a statin if you were over 350. And then it was 290 and then it was 240 and now it's 200. And, you know, um, I found charts from the CDC for men and women of all ages all broken out by percentiles as far as cholesterol levels. And, you know, if you're, you know, um, say you're in your fifties, uh, well, that's, you probably aren't, but, <laughs> but um, say you're in your fifties, you know, the average, the 50th percentile cholesterol level is over 200. It's around 220 or so. And so does that mean that evolution got it wrong? <laughs> you know, and that we're all supposed to have cholesterol level under 200 or, you know, is this something being pushed by pharmaceutical companies that we should, you know, use a product to keep our cholesterol level under 200. 
So, you know, it's, I, I'm, even though I'm a physician, I'm very skeptical of certain things like that, you know, related to pharmaceutical companies. And, um, but anyway, just something for, for people to think about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I appreciate everything, uh, everything that you said today, really. And now, just to be respectful of your time, um, if someone listening to this podcast was kind of taking notes and saying, oh, I didn't know this about cholesterol, I didn't know this could be the case with Alzheimer's, I didn't, you know, I, there's a ton of nuggets that you've said in here. What are some simple things that people listening can do to uh, just get started? You know, if they wanted to say, all right, I'm, you know, I'm, um, diet starts Monday. <laughs> what do I need to do to prepare? Yeah, what are some things to keep in mind? Yeah, I think the first thing is to just start cleaning up your diet. You know, uh, think about what you have in your house. And, you know, whole families benefit from this too. It's really hard for somebody to stay on a dietary regimen if there's stuff in the house, you know, that's not good to eat. You know, so, you know, look in your pantry, look in your fridge. Um, probably one of the, the biggest things to get rid of like right away or sugary drinks, which is very hard for some people. They have trouble parting with that. Um, and then obvious sweets, um, obvious junk food, you know, just kind of get rid of them. Take them to a pantry or something, you know? Um, and then just start thinking more about um, less packaged foods, looking at labels, you know, look at labels. If you see a lot of, um, uh, chemicals that you don't recognize the names of, that's probably a tip off that you might not want to be eating that, you know, but, you know, buy fresh vegetables, you know, buy, um, you know, some fruits, like low sugar fruits, the lower sugar fruits are the berries, blueberries, strawberries, you know, so you might kind of lean in that direction. Um, and then start thinking about adding a little more fat to your diet. Um, and I, I suggest people um, with like obvious, well, carbohydrates, starchy foods. So we're talking like rice, you know, try to do whole grain rice. You know, if you're, you're must have flour, <laughs> things with flour, try to make it whole grain, you know, flour. And, and, you know, at first you think, oh God, this is, this doesn't taste like what I'm used to, but, but people get used to it. It actually has more consistency. They're, they're kind of, they're nicer. Once you get used to eating whole grain rice, it's like, it's really nice. But, but I tell people to, Think about their portions too and um, of things like um, like say potatoes rice pasta cut it in half you know start by cutting it in half you know and then when you're used to that cut it in half again you know so you're down to a much smaller portion and you know then you get your taste of it <laughs> that you like but um, without just overloading how much carbohydrate you're putting into your diet this is a, a great way to cut down on carbohydrates you know, so those are just some simple things that people can do to get started. And then, you know, um, adding, you know, there's some, there's some foods that are kind of naturally ketogenic because they just don't have carbohydrate in them, you know, like cheeses fall into that. Don't get reduced fat cheese, get full fat cheese, you know, um, they add more carbs to things that are reduced fat, you know, um, and, you know, things like nuts, uh, seeds, um, they're really important in the diet, um, uh, avocados are great, um, you know, uh, and like I say, cheese is like a, a really good snack. These are things that don't, you know, when you eat something carbohydrate, say you eat a hundred calorie carbohydrate snack, you know, um, it's going to shoot your blood sugar up. <laughs> and the next thing you're going to want to do is eat because when in, your, your blood sugar goes up, your insulin level goes up, it makes you hungry when your insulin level comes back down again. So people tend to be constantly craving carbs if they're eating snacks like that um, and drinking sugary drinks and, and it, it, people can just, you know, you can be amazed at how better you feel and the car, the cravings are way down after just three days of greatly reducing the carbohydrates in the diet. That's great. That's all great stuff. You gave more than just a, more than just a, a couple snippets there. I did. Uh, I, I guess I lied a little bit. I do have one other question. What, um, Surrounding, uh, you know, in the exogenous ketone sphere, is that something that you're recommending people integrate as well? Um, yeah, yeah, I think that it's it's very reasonable to do that, and um, so I kind of tell people to think of coconut and MCT oil as part of the diet, and it can help maintain you in ketosis. Um, if you take, you know, like three or four times a day, you have some coconut or MCT oil with your food, it will help you 
stay in mild ketosis. Um, I, I think of, you know, the ketone supplements, ketone esters and that kind of thing as a boost. It's like a temporary boost that will last a few hours of getting you into a higher range of um, ketones. And um, ketones have many benefits, you know, they're fuel, but they're also anti-inflammatory. Um, a lot of people are dealing with inflammation for one reason or another, and um, so they can help reduce inflammation too. Um, like all the dementias have inflammation as part of it. Um, diseases like autism, um, diabetes, people have chronic inflammation when they have diabetes from this chronic elevation of the blood sugar that's very damaging. Um, arthritis, lung disease, heart disease, you know, high blood pressure, there's um, inflammation inside the walls of the blood vessels, the arteries. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, um, using supplements to, at, you know, at least temporarily increase your ketone level even further could be beneficial in that way. Um, and a lot of people report, you know, sleeping better, having a better mood, you know, those kind of things, you know, are very common um, when people take ketone supplements. That's awesome. Thank you. I, I appreciate you also riffing out on that a little bit too. Now, if people want to, they, they want to learn more about you, perhaps, you know, read, read some of your books, check out your website, um, anything else, where can they go to do that? Okay, so my website is coconutketones.com. So it's C-O-C-O-N-U-T-K-E-T-O-N-E-S.com, Coconut Ketones. And I have pages, um, I, you know, it started out as a website for information for Alzheimer's and dementia. So I have a page that's um, dedicated to that. Um, but I also have a page for Keto Diet Start Here, which is geared towards people that want to do a ketogenic diet for whatever reason. They want to lose weight, maybe. They want to try to get their diabetes under control. You know, um, and if, if somebody has a serious medical condition, I do strongly recommend that they talk to their um, doctor first, you know, before they engage in... <laughs> drastically changing their diet um, and or using ketone supplements. But, um, but anyway, there's a lot of information. I have videos, I have uh, recommended books, I have articles I've written. I have a lot of the scientific articles <clears throat> related to ketones <coughs> that people can get. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate it. I know the, everyone at home listening is going to appreciate it as well. Uh, maybe we can have you on at some point in the future. Uh-huh. That'd be great, Matt. I, I really appreciate you. Um, I'm always trying to increase awareness. So <laughs> thank you for that opportunity. Yeah, of, of course. Keep, you know, keep spreading the good word and uh, looking forward to talking to you soon. All righty. Thank you, Matt. All right, everybody. That was an awesome episode. Uh, really appreciative of, uh, really appreciative of Dr. Mary for coming on, mm -hmm. um, sharing her story and all of her knowledge with us. If you guys have any questions on that episode, uh, definitely, definitely let me know. Um, that is going to be Cody at realketones.com. If you have any guests that you guys would like to see, feel free at the same email that I just provided uh, to go ahead and let us know your topics, guests, anything like that.